Right, so um, I've been watching quite a bit more of um, Owen Benjamin's videos because I, I didn't know the guy at all until um, I came across him only because of reading uh, Vox's blog. And I've been watching quite a few of his videos because initially, you know, if you just listen to like a snippet of like 10 seconds or so, Owen sort of sounds like just some guy ranting. But it's not, it's really funny. Um, I really like, um, well, I, I like the guy a lot. He's, uh, I don't know, he's the kind of guy that reminds me of the kind of conversations I had with my brother when we ran to each other and it's both funny, but it's serious. We're talking about real stuff, but it's also kind of funny the way we do it. Uh, he's just the kind of guy I reckon it would be nice to, you know, sit down and have a beer with or whatever. Um, in one of his latest uh, videos, he actually said, won't anybody debate me about uh, the moon landings? So Owen, if you're watching on some level, if somebody ever shows you this or you, you get to know about it, because I'm kind of retarded with technology and you know, I'm sure you're pretty busy, so I'm not gonna harass you to, 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 to do this, but um, I think it would be fun. Uh, I'd, I'd argue for the fact that we did land on the moon, although the way I say they, that we landed on the moon, not, not the way they say. So with the anti-gravity stuff and everything. So Owen, if you're ready, I'm your Huckleberry. So, uh, in, in, and in that spirit, I just want to say a couple more things about that. So, the, you know, when I talk about anti-gravity and like on the, on the one video I did, which got like a couple thousand views, there's like the usual, oh, anti-gravity doesn't exist, show me, blah, blah, blah. And like I said in that video, you know, I wrote a 500 page book um, called The Face on Mars, in which there's a lot of backup, a lot of details there. So. I don't feel I need to prove my point anymore to anybody that book's been out for 20 something years now. So, you know, and it hasn't been refuted by anybody. It has been plagiarized by uh, Graham Hancock who admitted to plagiarizing it to my face. He apologized, you know, um, but whatever. Uh, th the thing is, there's a lot of information there an anti-gravity technology that was originally developed by um, Thomas Townsend Brown, then got developed by the American military. But there's a whole, you know, when, when I first wrote about the face on Mars, I was writing about the face on Mars and the pyramids on Mars, and I came across the anti-gravity stuff sort of as a, just a logical conclusion. If there were people living on Mars, and if they built these huge things, and if that planet got destroyed the way I say it got destroyed, which I'm, you know, the geology pretty much tells you that Mars was destroyed um, intelligently, let's say, or not by natural things, but by um, essentially by a war, um, which was using asteroids as weapons. Um, and we still have two unspent bullets spinning around Mars, which is uh, Deimos and Phobos, I believe, are moons that are not really moons, but they were like un unused asteroids. Mars got destroyed by two large impacts, which formed the Hellas Basin and the Argar Planitia, which are two huge craters. Hellas Basin is 1,600 kilometers across. Um, Mars used to have oceans, used to have rivers. There's evidence of this throughout the planet. And in Cydonia region, which by the way, if you were gonna have a, a civilization on the planet, where would you find any evidence left of it? And Cydonia is pretty much the only area that you would get left because if you think of Mars as a, as a globe, you know, it got hit on one side by the asteroid. On the opposite side, you've got the Tharsis bulge, which is uh, where the, the three uh, shield volcanoes and where Olympus Mons also in that area 
uh, come up. So it got hit on one side, bulged out on the other side with volcanoes and all sorts of lava and whatever. And there's a crack that runs, you know, 7,000 kilometers across the planet's face. Mars literally nearly got burst open like an egg by these impacts, by the Hellas Basin impact. So nothing on those areas would survive. It also looks like the northern hemisphere was um, covered in an ocean while the southern wasn't. And you've got something like 10 to 100 times the number of asteroid impacts on the southern hemisphere than you do in the northern. Now, what does that mean? That means it's not natural. You don't get random distribution of asteroid impacts to, to one or two magnitudes more on one side of the planet than the other. But all the details of the stuff is sort of in the book. And, you know, but the, the main point was, okay, if there were people living on Mars and they had pyramids there and we've got pyramids here on Earth that we don't know how the hell to build them now, okay, because the Great Pyramid, we can't build that now. I've been in construction for, you know, since I was 16, so over 30 years now. And I'm telling you right now that we cannot build the Great Pyramid, okay? We cannot do it. Um, there's, no one really knows how it was built. Um, there's a guy called Christopher Dunn who wrote a book um, about the pyramid being some kind of um, energy producing machine. And I've been inside the Great Pyramid, I've checked out all the little bits that were discussed in um, the book uh, called The Great Pyramid Decoded by Peter Lemaisurier. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind the pyramids were not built. When they say they were built, they were not pharaonic tombs. They were engineering concepts. And Joseph Farrell has come up with a, a pretty scary concept. He reckons that the Giza pyramids were a weapon. Um, it, it gets a bit involved and the physics gets a bit uh, high level, so I'm not really going to go into the details. But roughly speaking, um, you know, there's, there's ways to get like quartz to produce energy um, and some of those um, old style watches that, that just carry on by themselves sort of thing with, with movement, they, they use piezoelectric um, effects to carry that going. So a really larger scale version than this could possibly be uh, some kind of engineering, um, electronic or electric producing or electromagnetic producing power station or a weapon. Now the interesting thing about the, the, the Great Pyramid at Giza is that it embodies within itself all the measurements of the Earth. And you sort of, you really have to read either my book, The Face on Mars or The Great Pyramid Decoded by Peter Lemaisurier to understand the details of this. So I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that, but the point is we've got pyramids on Earth that nobody really knows where they come from and what they're there for and what they did. And we have pyramids on Mars, which, you know, by all accounts seem absolutely artificial. There's gotta be a link. It's not gonna be a coincidence, right? So if there's a link, then you would expect in our history to find, uh, you know, the gods descending to earth. And of course, that's exactly what we find. And we find this everywhere. We find it in South America, we find it in Africa, we find it in, in Europe, we find, you know, all across the world, different cultures that hadn't even come into contact have some aspect of the gods coming down from the sky, fighting with each other on earth and, and being pretty human in their way of doing things. I mean, all the ancient Greek gods used to have constant fights and arguments and whatever. And you have to understand that as uh, Gene Wolfe, I believe, said in uh, a brilliant book that he wrote, a novel, 
Soldier of the Mist. Uh, it was actually a trilogy, but the, the first book was, was amazing. It's one of my favorite books. And in, in that book, Gene Wolfe uh, says, you know, through one of his characters, you have to understand there is not as many gods as you think there are, because they're all the same people. You know, what most people don't know is that the ancient Egyptian gods got transmuted into the ancient Greek gods, and the Greek gods were directly related to the Roman gods. They were the same guys. They just changed name and they changed a little bit, and you know, sort of Chinese telephone effect with over time, like the, the legend modifies a bit. But the fact is, if you have that sort of um, situation going on, then rocket technology isn't gonna do it. And as I came across the Thomas Townsend Brown stuff and the anti-gravity stuff, okay, that makes sense. You know, if you have anti-gravity machines, you can now transport easily large numbers of people, equipment, whatever, through you know the planets of, of our solar system easily. I mean, with an anti-gravity machine that can create the sort of gravitational um, uh, changes that have been filmed by I really should get I, I keep forgetting to do it. It's in my book somewhere, but it's I forget them, you know, all the uh, all the missions, all the missions that went to, to space with the space shuttle, they have a code like SFS 96 or 88 or whatever it was. And on one of these, um, the space shuttle basically filmed these two objects entering the Earth's atmosphere or within the Earth's atmosphere, traveling really quickly, getting shot at by something really fast and then turning around and running away sort of thing. And Mark Carlotto did a, uh, a brilliant piece of work that determined the distance of these objects from the space shuttle, which you could see because of the, the change in, um, in albedo factor when, when these objects enter and leave the, the atmosphere. So he could pretty accurately recognize the distance these objects were at, and by that, you can then figure out the momentum, you know, the speed at which they moved. And if you figure that out, these guys make a directional change that would put anything inside it under 14,000 Gs of, of uh, momentum, you know, which would kill, you know, even if a huge steel block would become a thin layer of jam. So the only way that you can survive that is if you've got an anti-gravity machine that can create the field outside to create a gravity field that pulls you whichever way you want to go, and on the inside, a counter-gravity field that counters whatever momentum shifts you're going to make. Now. That sounds somewhat pretty far-fetched if you never come across it. And you're gonna think, well, you know, if we had that kind of equipment, we wouldn't know it. No, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You also need to understand that there is a long history of people that talk about this stuff and that um, discovered the stuff and that rediscovered again and again the anti-gravity technology going missing, suiciding themselves, disappearing. And this has happened to some pretty high-level guys. Now, for all that, uh, you know, Bob Lazar got uh, completely destroyed when he talked about S4. Here's a couple of interesting little tidbits. I'm just going to throw them out there a little bit. The secret bases where the Nazis were building their wonder weapons were called S1, S2, S3. Area 51, and Bob Lazar doesn't really know this, didn't really know this. When Bob Lazar came out in the late 80s or mid 90s whenever it was saying that he'd worked at uh, area 51 and they, they were reverse engineering alien craft bob lazar um, said that that facility was called s4 now after the second world war 
Project Paperclip, the Americans imported over 3,000 Nazi scientists. You know, and people say, oh, Werner von Braun was a scientist, he wasn't really a Nazi. No, Werner von Braun was a major in the SS. And his buddy, um, Kurt Du Bois, or, uh, if, if I remember his name right, was also an SS. These guys were full-on SS. There's pictures of them, and I need to find one somewhere. I, I found it, and then I don't know where I put it. But there's pictures of these guys at their NASA-funded little lodges and stuff. All these German Nazis all hanging together with, like, Nazi flags on their little, you know, on the hut where they were, like, partying and having barbecues. Um, these guys were receiving salaries that, uh, you know, they, they were driving around in cars they couldn't afford in the salaries that they were officially supposed to be doing. And another thing that you need to understand is that in Argentina, there's a country-sized state that was privatized that you could only get into if you had an SS actual um, identity. And there's a writer called Peter Lavenda who writes some uh, quite odd books. <coughs> I say odd because he relates a lot of the stuff to the spiritual uh, world and kind of creepy. I mean, it's very... He's very um, practical about it, you know, so I'm, he's not one of these guys that's writing woo-woo theories, but he's saying, look, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened, and this is where the information is leading me. And he's sort of kind of a nerdy guy, and he's friends with Joseph Farrell as well. Anyway, and this guy, he went all the way to Argentina, and he actually found this place where there's this Nazi concentration, whatever this Nazi camp was, this Nazi base. <coughs> <coughs> and he tried to get in there, you know, he went with the taxi. I mean, it, it's hilarious. You know, there's a video somewhere where he's discussing this with uh, Joseph Farrell. So, but anyway, the point is there is plenty of evidence that the Nazis uh, that created the Apollo program were, in fact, full-on Nazis. Now, <coughs> when I say that we went to the moon using anti-gravity technology, and you're saying, oh, how could that possibly be? Well... Here's something else that you probably don't know. Let me, um, I wrote a short story that was uh, in an anthology that Fox Day um, published called Red Horse. And in that, in that book, my story is called Red Space. Uh, it got edited pretty heavily by Vox. So there's a bunch of stuff that was in the original story got taken out. And this is real, real stuff, real information. It, this is not fiction, okay? So I'm just gonna read you bits that were uh, sort of the, um, there were like the, the headings to various chapters, you know, there were like little bits of information that were in the chapter, which is something I've done in um, another of my fiction books. <coughs> <coughs> I just had this cough for like a couple of weeks, it's not going away. So what I do is I interspace my fiction with uh, some serious hardcore nonfiction. This is the nonfiction part. A hundred trillion dollars. Estimated value of the total size of the global shadow banking in 2012, i.e. untraceable funds in the global economy. This being larger than the actual global economy itself, valued at only some 85 trillion in 2012. This is from the work of um, a, a, a scientific paper called The Interrupted Power Law and the Size of Shadow Banking by Professor Davide Fiaschi, Department of Economic Sciences at the University of Pisa, Professor Imre Kondor, Department of Physics of Complex Systems, Eötvös University, Budapest, and Dr. Matteo Marsili, 
Abdus Salam International Center for Theoretical Physics. So David Fiaschi, who's an economist, understood, uh, it, which is something that Joseph Farrell also mentions in his book, that economics and physics have some kind of weird relationships. And what David Fiaschi did, he, he, he realized that there was information missing from the banking world of how it's pretty complicated. You have, to, you have to read his paper really to get to it, which I'll just say it again. It's called The Interrupted Power Law and the Size of Shadow Banking. So there is an underground economy that nobody can track that he figured out the size of from, it's almost like a negative picture. He, he realized the size of this economic thing by, by taking a snapshot of the information that's missing, that goes missing. So you've got a, a shadow banking of 100 trillion that is more than the global economy. So all the money that goes all around the world that you know of, there is a bigger economy that nobody knows anything about. Now, some of that could be black market and whatever, but 100 trillion. And what Joseph Farrell posits, which I think is a very interesting concept, is that a lot of this economy is for off-world uh, technology. And getting back to the British um, uh, hacker that hacked into the US uh, military databases where he found lists of uh, military personnel aboard ships, spaceships, that included up to 300 people on a ship. So if that's true, then we have these huge off-world anti-gravity machines manned, and some of them are in the, I, I would call it nominally American government, because it's not the American government that's that's got the stuff. Um, you know, if, if this theory is correct, we're essentially sheep in a prison planet. Now, the interesting thing about Owen is that he knows this, he's understood this, and he's come at it from a completely different um, perspective. Um, both him and I feel absolutely the same about the pedophile elites, which um, I became aware of that quite early on. So around the same time that I figured out the face on Mars, I figured out a lot of stuff about anti-gravity technology, I figured out about how this planet is actually run. I figured out that there was some serious stuff going on with kids, but at the time, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't believe anything to do with Christianity. I was uh, pretty obsessed with karate, and you know, I was a pretty much sort of Zen samurai thinking. And I didn't uh, understand that there is also. I mean, I knew there was evil in the world, but being a somewhat uh, Zen agnostic, I didn't really uh, think of, a, of of an origin for it. Um, anyway, so that's one piece of the puzzle. So if you're talking about anti-gravity technology, th there is enough of an economy, uh, a shadow economy that you know nothing about, that absolutely supports this, this theory. Here's another little piece of information that um, that is interesting. I'm going to read this bit first before the next one, which just because I think it's... Um, they're, I'm not reading these in the order they're, they're produced, but here's the thing. Russia and the US unite. Former enemies sign an agreement to work on nuclear weapons to tackle the danger of asteroids. This was in the Daily Mail. Uh, it was a headline published on 16 October 2013 by Victoria Woolston. So the US and uh, Russia are going to work together using nuclear weapon to tackle the danger of asteroids. 
interesting really interesting when you keep it in mind that what I'm going to read next is part of an affidavit recorded in December of 2000 by Carol Rosen now Carol Rosen uh, testified before Congress about space-based weapons on many occasions so Carol Rosen is not you know some kook flying around that doesn't know what she's talking about uh, so let me just read this. Affidavit recorded in December of 2000 by Carol Rosen, corporate manager of aerospace company Fairchild Industries from 1974 to 1977, discussing the weaponization of space, according to Werner von Braun, who after retiring from NASA became a consultant engineer for Fairchild Industries in 1972. Look at that. They land a man on the moon in 69, and by 72, Werner von Braun, the guy who essentially created the whole Apollo program, is retired and is now working as a consultant for Fairchild Industries. Anyway, this is the one, one of the pieces of, of that affidavit. When Werner von Braun was dying of cancer, he asked me to be his spokesperson to appear on occasions when he was too ill to speak. I did this. What was most interesting to me was a repetitive sentence that he said to me over and over again during the approximately four years that I had the opportunity to work for him. He said the strategy that was being used to educate the public and decision makers was to use scare tactics. That was how we identify an enemy. <coughs> Please understand that scare tactics is absolutely how the Nazi regime was, was run. Okay, Just a little aside. The strategy that Werner von Braun thought, taught me was that first, the Russians are going to be considered the enemy. In fact, in 1974, they were the enemy. They identified enemy. We were told that they had killer satellites. We were told that they were coming to get us and control us, that they were the commies. Then terrorists would be identified, and that was soon to follow. We heard a lot about terrorism. Then we were going to identify third world country crazies. We now call them nations of concern. But he said that would be the third enemy against whom we would build space-based weapons. The next enemy was asteroids. Now at this point he kind of chuckled the first time he said it. Asteroids against asteroids. We're going to build space-based weapons. He was laughing about this. And the funniest one of all was that what he called aliens, extraterrestrials. That would be the final scare. And over and over, during the four years that I knew him and was giving speeches for him, he would bring up that last card. And remember, Carol, the last card is the alien card. We're going to have to build space-based weapons against aliens, and all of it is a lie. When I went to Russia in the early 70s, I found out that they didn't have killer satellites, that it was a lie. In fact, the Russian leaders and people wanted peace. They wanted to cooperate with the United States and the people of the world. That's what they do. That's the Nazi way, divide and conquer. The Nazis, there was enough of them, they did not lose the war. They changed the zeitgeist of the planet. Remember that the Nazis were the first who really understood the use of propaganda. Why do you think it's so powerful when you've got like thousands of people all standing in neat rows with the huge Nazi flags behind them? You think that doesn't affect people? It does. And it's so in your face that you think, no, it's not going to affect me. And it does. Look at the Hollywood stuff that's going on. I mean, it's riddled with pedophiles. 
Pedophiles everywhere, okay? Look at the fake Pope, Bergoglio. That guy is a pedophile defender, and I'm gonna do a video just on him, because that evil son of a bitch, as far as I'm concerned, is probably the, the herald of the Antichrist prophesied in the Bible. I would not be surprised if he really was. That guy is evil scum. He is not a Christian of any kind. He's an absolute fake pope. But then again, you know, the, on, we've only had fake popes since 1958. And a little aside note. Um, and another thing, Owen, if you ever watch this, I believe you were raised Catholic, but you reject the Catholic Church. Absolutely correct, because the Catholic Church that most people think is the Catholic Church has not been the Catholic Church since 1958. It's the anti-church. It's actually a satanic, scummy organization filled with predatory homosexuals and pedophiles. Um, so if you're watching, Owen, ever, uh, there are real Catholics. There are few, far between. And um, anyone that's interested in that sort of thing can go and read up a bit more about it on uh, a website called Canon188, canon188.com. Uh, that's Canon with one N, Canon, as in the law, canon188.com. Uh, and you'll find out where the real Catholics are left. There's something interesting that's happening on that, on that note is, um, and I've said this before, I've written, uh, I've written about it on my blog and whatever, and Barnhart, who's a pretty hardcore Catholic, keeps trying to say that Ratzinger is the real Pope and she's completely wrong. And it's slowly falling apart around her ears because she's recently over the last month or so put up these posts about how Ratzinger was himself uh, one of the German uh, cardinals that was instrumental in trying to describe how the papacy should be destroyed and it should just become sort of a secular type of thing. I'm paraphrasing, all right? And yet she still tries to say that he was the, he's the only legitimate Pope. No, Ratzinger was one of the architects of Vatican II. You cannot say, I'm a Catholic and accept Vatican II. Okay, the Vatican II documents are completely heretical. That's like saying, I don't know, um, yeah, I'm Christian and I, I murder babies. No, you, you cannot be a Christian and murder little children. You know, it just doesn't work. <coughs> <coughs> Or it's like saying that, that you're a basketball player and you go on the field with a golf club. You know, that, that's not basketball, all right? So, no, Bergoglio is, is not any kind of Catholic. Neither is any priest, any supposed priest that accepts Vatican II, that accepts the current Pope, that accepts any of the Popes since the 28th of October of 1958. These are not Catholics, all right? These are either ignorant people or deceivers. So, pick, take your pick. And that's it. I've done videos on this before, so if you want to look at them, go, go on the blog. Anyway, that was just a little aside. The thing is, Werner von Braun, who was a Nazi and who was in, you know, there was relationships between the Nazis who built the Apollo program and the Nazis in Argentina. These guys changed the zeitgeist. The Nazis got away in Argentina with billions and billions of dollars in gold, diamonds, stolen art, all sorts, right? And Juan Perón hosted them and these guys through, um, oh, his name will come to me, um, Martin Bormann. Martin Bormann did not die in, in, in Berlin. Uh, there was an absurd, absurd um, story done about that, but I've, I've mentioned that in a video before. Anyway, Martin Bormann, uh, together with Juan Perón, they um, were instrumental in funding 
thousands of companies funded by Nazi money. A lot of these companies were successful. A lot of them were there before the war, like IG Farben was involved in Auschwitz, you know, so, and these companies, including, you know, companies like IBM, you, you didn't know IBM was Nazi funded? Oh, well, or take, take now, take Google. Who, who do you think funded Google? Google was funded. It's not Sergey Brin and, you know, these two, like, geek created Google. No. Google was funded 100% by the CIA. They're not even hiding it. Okay, there's the CIA funding arm of the CIA actually says it on their website. Okay, I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. So if you're thinking that, oh, you know, life is not that bad and things are not that hard, you know, really, it's, 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 it's all good. It's all good. You're just being brainwashed. You're just stumbling along, not realizing what this planet is all really about. And I'm absolutely convinced that we have anti-gravity technology because it exists. And it was given to the military at the latest in 1954 by Thomas Townsend Brown. You're telling me they just sat in it and didn't develop it for another 60 years, 70 years? Yeah, no, of course they developed it. And then if you look at the timelines and I connect some of these dots, so the Nazis and, and you know, I didn't know this when I first wrote the face on Mark, I, face on Mars. I was, I was missing the Nazi connection. I didn't, look into it enough. But in the updated version of my book, which was out in 2014, you can get it on Amazon. In there, I, I know about the Nazi connection. So I added that bit in. Now, someone like Owen, and I understand, dude, you know, Owen is also a bit, quite a bit younger than I am. You know, I'm going to be 50 this year. I think he was born in 1980. So, um, you know, he's, he's still at a stage I was a bit earlier. You know, I figured all this out more or less in when I was 26. I spent the next 10 years being pissed off. And I can tell from when he's talking about it that Owen is pissed off. You know, he'd like to do nothing better than to just, like olden days, you know, grab a shield, a sword, and, you know, he is man-sized, you know, he's like six, seven or whatever, um, and, and just chop off heads of pedophiles. You know, wouldn't it be great? Crusade number two, 2.0. Yes, it would be great. And uh, I, I totally agree with him on that. And we need to do that now. I don't know if I'm going to cover all that here. I might make another separate video, but there's, there's a, a shortage of leadership. Okay. And I'm going to use three different people as examples. I'm going to use Owen Benjamin as an example of a leader, Fox Day as an example of a leader and myself as an example of a leader. Now you don't know me because I'm, I'm not, you know, both Fox and Owen are like huge on the internet. Um, I started to get there and then five, in 2013, I just dropped off the face of the earth for, you know, personal reasons or whatever. And now those are kind of the way they are. So I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And eventually I'll get back up there. But there are three essentially quite different styles and yes, quite successful people. But what, what, you know, people like us tend not to do is band together properly, strongly, and create a cohesive unit that creates effect in the world. Um, because we're, you know, men, real, normal, uh, men, which still have our testicles, we can create change that affects a lot of people. But we don't seem to coordinate with each other. And what the people on the, the, the left, progressive, pedophile, Bergoglian, you know, satanic cults do, they band together like, like a mass of zombie rabbits, you know, and that is what they do. 
the zombie rabbit horde is is it moves together they all together even if they're like eating each other alive while they're doing it they're like zombies you know they just carry on and what i think is needed is a coordination of people that have an impact that can have an impact to create these things so um but that needs effort and that needs time and that needs a willingness to work together which generally people like us don't really have we're sort of misanthropic we don't really like other humans that much uh, i know i most mostly don't and also there's that there's two factors there's that iq gap and then there's there's another thing which i came across a guy who um, was basically scared of the internet uh, i'm not gonna say his uh, even his fake name right now just because i, I don't want to cause problems for the guy but he wrote a lot before he was sort of warned you know, stop writing about this stuff and get offline. And he did get offline and he deleted his blog. So his parts of his blogs are archived somewhere. And that's where I know this stuff from. But he wrote a lot about Neanderthals and how he reckons that Homo sapiens are basically the, the, the locusts of humanity. And they took over the, the Neanderthals and Neanderthals were, had a bigger cranial capacity, were individualistic. And he reckons that people like us, you know, that have Neanderthal genes, some Neanderthal genes, we are the only ones that are still able to like function mostly on facts. You know, it is, um, it was Vox actually that educated me on the concept of the rhetoric versus ideology, uh, versus, versus uh, not ideology, uh, rhetoric versus, um, uh, you know, f uh, people that learn through facts and people that learn only through their feelings. Or So if you're using rhetoric, you're motivating people by their feelings. But um, if, you, if you can discuss a simple fact and a person changes their opinion on that, that's a minority of human beings. And this guy that was banned off the internet, he wrote about this and he said that in his opinion, it was only people that had some Neanderthal genes that could change their mind based on facts. And they'd basically been wiped out by the Homo sapiens because Homo sapiens band together like zombies and just, you know, the zombie horde eats everything in front of it sort of thing. So... It's an interesting concept, um, and there is also that 30 IQ gap. So, for example, like I noticed when Owen does his live streams and the, the, the two-hour rants sort of thing, he's actually hilarious. I mean, I, I, it's not very often that I find myself laughing out loud properly in, you know, in real life, and, and yet I do with him. You know, I'm, I'll be sitting on my way to work listening to his video, and I'll just burst out laughing at some of the stuff he says because the guy's hilarious. He, re he really is. He's funny. Um, and yet he knows the severity of what he's talking about is real. It's true, you know, but that's a man. That's a guy who's like, he's facing the darkness. He's looking into the abyss and he's like, fuck you guys, you know, fuck you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not stepping back one inch. That's a man. Uh, and you know, guys like that uh, need to, it would be cool if we could create something together that pushes back hard, you know, because the, the left will have you killed they will destroy your life they will destroy your your family they will try and get at you any way they can so these people do not deserve any mercy they do not deserve your pity your empathy or your compassion you know what, what fox says is like make the rubble bounce i've always had that philosophy if somebody comes at you somebody's trying to hurt people you love somebody's trying to destroy your life go right back at them go right back at them and the way that Vox says is like, you know, punch back twice as hard. I'm more like, you know, I'm, I'm not an eye for an eye kind of guy. I'm like an eye for your whole village. 
you touch one of mine, I'm going to nuke you from orbit. Anything that I can do to nuke you from orbit, I'm going to do. And uh, so anyway, the point is, there is a hidden world that you know nothing about, you know, uh, and if you're starting to watch these videos and start to understand the stuff, look into it more. You know, I'm not telling you to believe me. You know, read the stuff that I mentioned, or look at the people that I, that I talked about. And I'm not trying to sell you my book, okay? I don't make my living from, from my books or whatever. You, you buy it, great, you know? Um, but I think it was Philip K. Dick or somebody that said that in order to, you know, to survive as a writer, you need, you need a real job uh, to support your habit. You know, because it's like, we write because we have to. Not, uh, not because not because it makes us uh, live well uh, most writers I'm I'm pretty successful as a writer um, but because I, I'm quite well above the uh, four thousand pounds a year that your average writer earns from his writing you know that it's some ridiculous figure I mean four thousand pounds a year that's like you know it's you can't live on that you know so I'm trying to organize myself so that I've got more time to do my writing because I've got a pretty interesting setup with, with my work at the moment. Uh, so a lot of things are paid for for me, but and the idea is to give me more time to do more writing. But, you know, that means I got to uh, cut down on the way that I live in other ways. So, um, oh, uh, here it is. Gary McKinnock, that's, that's the hacker that was um, the British hacker that the Americans tried to extradite to the US and they didn't manage. So this, this was an interview that was done with him. Uh, so the interviewer asked him, what was, most, what, what was the most exciting thing you saw, I ask? I found a list of officers' names, he claims, under the heading non-terrestrial non officers. Non-terrestrial officers, I say. Yeah, I looked it up, says Gary, and it's nowhere. It doesn't mean little green men. What I think it means is not Earth-based. I found a list of fleet-to-fleet -fleet transfers and a list of ship names. I looked them up. They weren't U.S. Navy ships. This is Gary McKinnock, hacker who was accused in 2002 of perpetrating the biggest military computer hack of all time, being interviewed in The Guardian by John Ronson, appears in the 9 July 2005 online edition titled Game Over. So that's Gary McKinnick. I couldn't remember the guy's name. He's the hacker that got into the U.S. military and, and found out this non-terrestrial officer lists and ship-to-ship -ship transfers and stuff. There's a whole fleet of ships out there. Now, if you're interested in thinking why, how that could be, then I suggest you read my fiction books. The Overlords on Mars series explains in, in novel form. You know, it's, they're fiction, but th there are a, a lot of non-fiction things in there. So that might be a, a way for you to get an idea of what's really going on in the world. But, you know, that's the point. And so when Owen says we didn't go to the moon, I kind of get where he's coming from. I agree with him. You know, a lot of the moon stuff is fake. The videos are fake. The, 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 the photographs are fake. But I do believe we did go. Uh, we just had anti-gravity technology. And I believe there's bases on the moon. And there's people that look at the moon and observe this stuff that have seen a huge machines moving on it. There's there's a guy, I'm gonna try and find out, I need to, to look it up. There's a guy who hooks up his like cameras to telescopes and apparently has filmed these huge ships in orbit. Um, so, you know, there's so much crap in the, in the 
spinning around Earth now that even if you did see some light moving, it'd be, oh, it's a satellite or whatever. But that's why this guy's got a huge telescope and you could see, no, look, that's not a satellite. That's a massive ship. And again, this makes sense to me, you know, um, but it's, it's a rude shock. You know, it's like, I don't know, say you wake up one day and you realize everybody you know is actually a robot or something, you know, it's, it's on that level of like, um, cognitive dissonance, you know, uh, but if you're able to think dialectically, that is, if you're able to look at facts, just the facts and go where they lead you. In other words, don't have a preconceived theory, just, just look at the facts and stack them up together. So the face on Mars that I wrote, uh, I wrote that in 95 uh, and then I updated in 2014. The face on Mars is a good book because it has a lot of these references. You know, it's packed with like details and references and stuff. So it's very hard to, um, you know, to, to, to say, oh, it's not real when you've got that level of evidence. Um, so if you want a starting point, that might be it. But anyway, and I'll just close off with, um, again, Owen, if you want to argue for the, we didn't go to the moon, I'll, I'll argue it with you. I'm on your side. I'm absolutely on your side, but I think we did go. And I think you were just missing a bit of information, which, you know, it's, that, that's not unusual because uh, there's a lot of stuff that's hidden. You know, like I, I had missed the Nazi connection. Once you connect the Nazis to anti-gravity machine, it makes a lot more sense. A lot of it flows a lot more. And then you can start to see certain things that happen in history with a lot more clarity. You know, the Nazis, the, the Second World War ends in uh, 45, you know, 40, 45, 46. Uh, Operation High Jump goes to Antarctica with like a bunch of soldiers supposed to be there for months. They come back a few weeks later, still classified, dead people, lost ships, lost tanks lost planes and uh, then shortly after that you've got the Roswell incident shortly after that you've got flying saucers going pretty close to the White House and then you've got in the 1950s these three atom bombs are thrown over Antarctica for no real good reason that we can figure out there's a secret war that was still going on or something was going on you know there was still something going on and Hitler did not die in his bunker, right? Uh, I, I, I'm pretty much uh, of the opinion that Hitler did probably die in Argentina and that the original um, Argentinian journalist who wrote a book called Hitler Died in Argentina is probably correct. Okay, so that's that for today.